mother. Uh, the doctor that she had seen for years and years that had taken care of her uh, had retired, and so it was time to replace the, the doctor. So he had made some phone calls, took uh, uh, s- some recommendations, and then took his nine-year-old mother in to see the doctor for the first time. So the doctor did a thorough examination, ran a couple tests, and uh, and uh, and then asked that they come back in a week when when all the test results are in and uh, to to meet with them just to kind of get a, a plan on how they were going to deal with her the health issues that she had and, and taking care of her moving forward. So so they stepped into the doctor's office, Jim and his his nine year old mother, and as they sat down, the doctor looked at Jim and began to talk to him and, and began to say, "This is what the test uh, showed us, and this is the medications that we're going to give your mom, and this is the." This is the changes that we're going to make. The whole time, looking at Jim, talking to him. And, and, and partway through a sentence, uh, his mother stopped the doctor and said, Doctor, can I ask you a question? And uh, the doctor said, well, well sure. And she, she said, uh, do you do crossword puzzles by any chance, doctor? And, um, and he said, well, yeah, I do. And said, let me ask you, do you do those in uh, pencil or in pen? And the doctor said, well, usually I do them in pencil. And Jim's nine-year-old mother looked at the doctor and said, well, I do them in ink pen. You can talk to me. Uh, in Jesus' day, the prevailing thought, what, what was taught, what most people just understood and, and accepted was that, that if you wanted to know about God, if you wanted to know who God was, if you wanted to know and, and understand what He wanted from your life, if you want to get a sense of what God was trying to do for your life, then the only way you could do that was to go to someone that was trained, someone that was educated. You, you couldn't figure that out on your own. You had to go to one of the, the prescribed religious leaders of the day, such as the, the Pharisees. So it's no real surprise to see then when we read the Gospels that those same religious leaders, those Pharisees, and if you remember from last week, we talked uh, at the start of chapter 3 in, in the Gospel of John uh, about one of those Pharisees, a guy named Nicodemus. And we'll touch base on him a, a little bit more here in a second. But, but, but it's no wonder that, that a majority of these trained religious leaders who were used to people looking up to them and looking at them to find the answers, uh, to, to find out what it meant to follow God and what God wanted from their life. So, so you can see and understand why these religious leaders, these Pharisees, would, would get upset with someone like Jesus. Uh, a man like Jesus, who in their eyes was an untrained or, uh, or uneducated man. Now, isn't that kind of funny that they looked at Jesus as untrained and educated? Because we, uh, un- uneducated, because we know from John chapter 1, it tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God, telling, t- telling us, uh, we talked about that two weeks ago, that that was who Jesus was, that Jesus was there in the beginning. And yet, they saw Jesus as that kind of uh, person, untrained, and, and surely people couldn't find anything out about God by looking at Him. But here was this same Jesus, drawing people to Him, speaking to the common person in a common way, and and in doing so, turning that idea, that philosophy, that that thought that only the high educated could, could, could in any way understand God. Here was Jesus not talking down to people, but looking them eye to eye, sinner and saint alike, 
and explaining to them in the simplest of terms the complexities of, of God. Explaining to them the, the secrets of God so that they could understand. Pulling the veil back so they could know the good news of who God was. Pulling back the veil of, of secrecy of, of rules and codes and complexity and making that good news simply that, making it good news. And, and with that said, there's probably no single verse in, in, all of the vibe, in, in all the Bible that sums up the beauty of that transformational teaching and that transformational revelation of good news better than John 3.16. So, so we're going to do this this morning, just kind of as a group. I know we, we probably have different versions that we've done this in, but, but instead of, and, and if you want to turn to John chapter 3, verse 16 in your Bibles, you certainly can do that. In fact, I'd encourage you to open up John. I'm going to refer back to Nicodemus. You might want to look back and see some of the things we talked about last week. We'll be looking at a, a, another verse in the Gospel of John. But, but, and you can turn and look at verse 16 if you, if you like this morning. But let's just, let's just read or say, quote, that verse together. Are, are you ready? Let's just say that together. For God's. I, I, I was quiet because I'm terrible at quoting Scripture, so I, I, did, I didn't want to mess that one up, so I just was pretending like I was listening. No, I, I think I could have got that one. Um, when when uh, I used to go to church camp, uh, especially with younger kids, we'd always have, as part of the week, we'd have uh, Bible memorization. You, they'd be divided into teams, and you'd have to memorize Scripture to, to get points for your team and, and, and the whole rigmarole. And, and, and there was one verse that was always memorized that everyone would get this as their first memory verse. Anyone want to guess what verse that was? Oh, you guys are good. <laughs> you're supposed to say John 3.16, but, but you're right. It's John 11.35, Jesus wept. But the second verse that they did was always John 3.16. Why is, it, why is it that everyone knows John 3.16? It sounded like almost the whole church here this morning was quoting that verse why why do we know that verse why do we have and and maybe no other verse except for john eleven thirty five, jesus wept why do we have that verse seared into our memories and in into our thoughts why do people that that don't even necessarily proclaim faith that don't necessarily uh call themselves a believer still seem to know that verse and it really is simple because of the message. It's the message. Uh, I mentioned last week that we're, we're looking for three weeks, three on three, uh, uh, three messages from John chapter three. Last week we talked about Nicodemus in John chapter three, what, verses one to three, or actually one up to verse 15, if you want to be exact on that. Today we'll look at John three sixteen. Next week we're going to look at uh, John three six or 17 and, and 18. Uh, but last week we looked at this this idea that that started at the the, the start of chapter three, when a guy named Dick Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he asked Jesus a kind of a secret question, a a veiled question. Uh, he made a statement to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, uh, he called him Rabbi and Teacher. We know that you come from God because no one could do what you're doing if you didn't come from God. But really, it was a veiled question. And the question that we talked about last week that Nicodemus was asking was, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that, that, that Chris, Scripture has talked about? Because if you are, 
then I might be willing to change and start following you. I, if you are Jesus, then I'm going to, I'm going to possibly become one of your, your disciples. So that was, that was kind of the veiled question that Nicodemus asked. But then Jesus answered a question that wasn't even asked. Uh, Jesus ended up, his response to him was, if you, if you want to know about the kingdom of God and enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. He answered a question, and the question was, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to know God's kingdom? Well, that wasn't the question Nicodemus asked, but it's the question that Jesus answered, because that really is the question that's most important. And, and ultimately, what we saw from that text is that Nicodemus walked away kind of confused. He asked one thing, sort of. Jesus answered another one, sort of. He didn't understand, how can I be born again? That doesn't make sense. And, and I point that out because I want you to understand that this verse that you've memorized when you were just a little kid, that you were able to quote today, that, that verse John 3.16, comes in the context of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is asking, hey, are you the one? Are you the one that's going to change everything? Because if you are, then my life's going to change. And Jesus ends up answering all of that in verse 16 when he said, hey, God loved the world so much he sent his son so that we can have life. Let's look at, at, at this verse. I'm going to look at three things. And I'm going to be honest, we're going to spend most of our time on the first point. For those of you that are concerned with time, once I get through the first point, man, we are almost done. We're just going to touch on a couple things on the, the last two points, and then we'll be done. Here's what we see that that verse tells us. It tells us, about God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It tells us about God. And and the first thing that we see is the foundation. We see the foundation. See, the, the whole thought of what Jesus was telling Nicodemus, and really the whole thought of what we catch in John chapter 3, is, is on this foundational point of God. For God. In the early days of, of uh, automaking, Henry Ford uh, had a factory that was running uh, just, just along wonderfully until one day one of his main machines broke down in the factory. Uh, and it, it brought the production of the whole factory screeching to a halt. Uh, all his best mechanics and engineers were put on the task of figuring out what went wrong and getting it fixed, but none of them could figure it out. And, and so finally, uh, as a last resort, Ford contacted his old friend and, and, and former employee who was the one that had designed and built the factory and, and was the one that had designed and built that machine. He contacted him and said, hey, here's the problem. Can you come and figure out what's going on and why it's not working? The guy showed up the next day. In 10 minutes, he had the factory, had the machine running, the factory back up to, to full per, uh, production. And, and as he walked out, he told Ford, I'll send you a bill. About a week later, a bill came in the mail to Henry Ford, and it was for uh, $1,000. Uh, Henry Ford opened that and thought, you have got to be kidding. So, so he got his friend on the phone and said, said hey, I appreciate you fixing the, the, the line and all, but $1,000 for 10 minutes work? Isn't that just a little bit steep? Uh, the guy said, you're, you're right. Let, let me resubmit the bill. So a week later, the bill, uh, the new invoice arrived in the mail, and, and it was broken down now. for, And it said this, 10 minutes work repairing 
the, the, the machine, $10. For knowing where to look, $990. <laughs> uh, Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a man who, who as, his, as his profession, I mean, it was his passion. Uh, Nick talked about passion. Well, that, that was Nicodemus' passion was, was studying God's Word. But, but, but his passion was God. His passion was knowing what Scripture said and knowing what God said in His Word. But, but somehow he, he'd been missing the main point. He'd been missing what he really should have, have been looking at. His whole idea, his whole life was reading and studying and debating and teaching and applying and meditating on God's law. But, but Jesus goes back to the foundation. And the foundation, and don't, don't misunderstand, don't, don't mis, misquote me on this, don't get, don't get the wrong idea. Jesus said it wasn't about the law, it was about God. Now, I'm not suggesting that the law wasn't important. I'm not suggesting that Scripture isn't important. In fact, we're talking about Scripture, so Scripture is foundationally important for us, and we have to meditate on it and understand it and apply it to our life and let God speak to us through that. Don't, don't misunderstand that at all. I don't want to at all let you think that, 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 that that's minimized in any way. But, but he starts here by saying, here's the real foundation. It is simply God. See, I think we're a lot like Nicodemus. We're searching, we're searching for the answer to questions that we have. And sometimes we're searching to answers to questions that we don't even know what they are yet. But, but Nicodemus knew that if he were going to follow Jesus, everything would change. And the truth is, and, and we catch this from Scripture, even though he was enamored with Jesus, even though he knew Jesus was special, we pointed out that last week when he called him rabbi, that it was a, a statement of honor that was well beyond just addressing him, that, that he really was looking up to him. But, but he wasn't quite sure yet if he was really willing to follow him. In, in part, that may be why he came to him at night. If I come to him at night when no one sees, we're just, just us two talking about it, maybe I don't have to commit quite as much. But, but catch this foundational point, the answer to all of our questions, those deep-rooted questions that keep us up at night. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Do I matter? Does anyone really care about me? Those, those deep-rooted questions, those deep-rooted questions that we don't even sometimes know how to articulate, but they're, they're in our soul and in our heart. The answer to those questions is always the same. It, it was the same for Nicodemus, and it is for us. It simply is God. So the foundation is God. But let's, let's see what the, this, this verse tells us about the facts, because it points out a couple facts about God. And, 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 and let's look at just two things. For God so loved. God loved. See, he loved us. The one thing that is often missed when we concentrate on laws, when we concentrate on following rules, when we worry ab about uh, doing something wrong or we worry about not doing enough stuff right, and, and it probably was what Nicodemus was missing in his teaching, uh, and it certainly was the, what the common Jew in Jesus' day was, was missing, 
What, what we sometimes miss when we concentrate on just the law and not on God is, is we miss this fact that God loves us. That God loves us. Have you, uh, have you ever felt, the reality is, I, I'm, I'm sure this is true of all of us, have you ever felt, ha- had a moment where you felt unloved? Maybe it was just for a brief period of time. Maybe it was a, uh, someone had, had done something to you, got rejected in some way, and you just, you just had that sense, well, golly, I don't know if I matter. I don't know if anyone loves me. I, I, uh, I've had a number of those in my life just like, like you have, but there's one that I look back, and it's still, it still just kind of haunts me. I can look back, and I can almost make myself cry when I think about this. And, and, and it starts this way. A lot of my stories start this way. Well, one time when Reed and I, um, so, so it's a story about my, my lovely wife, Rita. Rita and I had been, uh, you, you knew where I was going. Rita and I had been dating for five months, but I knew, I knew on our first date that I was going to marry her. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. I knew on my first date that I wanted to marry her. I had no idea how I was going to make that happen, but I knew that th- she was the one. I went on that first date uh, that she asked me out on, by the way. There's a story behind that. I, won't, I don't have time. Uh, but, but I knew I wanted, I, I was going to marry her. And, uh, and, and I think fairly early on, we dated for five months from January to May till the semester ended. And I think we both kind of felt that way. Am, am I right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, kind of, we didn't really necessarily talk that much about it, but I just knew. I just knew that she was the one. And I know that a lot of you have made comments to me, like, how in the world did you end up with her? And she's really, that's why we like you guys here at Troy. Well, we don't care about you that much, Tim, but Rita's a great person. And, and, I, and so I know you're thinking, how in the world, you, of course you want to marry her on the first day. She is way out of your league. And so, so that was true. So, so at the end of the semester, Rita drove home to, to Grantville, Kansas, uh, just outside Topeka, I drove back to Illinois. I was going to be there for about two weeks before I came back to Grain Valley, Missouri, for a youth ministry that I was going to going to be working at during the summer. So, so, so we were apart for two weeks, and and for you younger people, that was pre cell phone days. Uh, talking on the phone was expensive, so uh, and it took a week for a letter to get there. So we weren't able to communicate a lot. But finally, the day arrived that I was going to drive back and spend about three days with Rita before I went over to Grain Valley, and. Uh, Man, I was anticipating that, and I drove the, 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 the 400 miles or whatever it was from Woodlawn, Illinois to Grantville, Kansas, seven-plus hours of driving in my VW Bug uh, that didn't have air conditioning or didn't work anyway, driving across Missouri into Kansas, and all I could think about was seeing the lady I was going to marry. Again, two weeks, that was a long time because we were together every day. And so, so I drove that whole way across Missouri and into Kansas. I was, I was kind of dreaming about what it was going to be like. And I, just, I was going to get there about 6 o'clock. Rita got off work and got home from about 5 o'clock from the job she was doing. And I knew what was going to happen. She was going to get home. She was going to run home. She was going to change clothes, kind of freshen up, squirt some, some smelly stuff on, and fix her hair. And she was going to get a chair and set it in front of the picture window in her mom and dad's house and sit there looking out, waiting to see me turn the corner and come down the road. I just knew that was going to happen. And then another version of my dream was, well, she won't do that. She'll take a lawn chair, set it in the front yard. That way she can see me from further away. That way when I cross the tracks about three blocks away, she can hear my VW bug, and she'll know that I honk when I go by her aunt's house 
because she taught me that's what we do when we go by their house. Even though they're dead and don't live there, we, if we're in Granville, we honk when we go by that house. So she would hear that beep of, of my VW bug, know that I was almost there. And, and I really, I was almost embarrassed for it because I thought she's going to start running down the street. I'm going to have to stop a block short, get out. Okay, Rita, okay. It's, so I had this all in my mind. She's even being in that picture window on the porch, in the yard, running down the street. And as I turned into Grandpa and went up over the railroad tracks and turned down that street that would get her to, the, to, to her street, I, man, my anticipation was just, and I, I, I honked when I went by, and I thought she heard the honk, and I, I turned the corner, and there was no Rita running down the street. I, I went a little further where I could see the yard, and there was no Rita in the yard. I thought, well played, honey, well played. She's at the picture window. So I, I got to her house and pulled in the drive where I could see the picture window and no Rita. And I'm thinking, then I, then I was just like, oh. She sat there for an hour and her mom called her into the kitchen for something. She had to go the, get a drink of water, go to the bathroom or something. And she, she's going to be so disappointed that she missed the moment that I pulled up. So I pull up, I honk the horn, I'm just, I'm just waiting for her to come flying out and no flying, Rita. <laughs> and so, so, so I walk up to the door, and there's a note. Playing softball at such and such place in Topeka with directions. That's, that's the kind of lady I married. <laughs> she, she committed that softball team. She was the pitcher, and she was not going to let them down. We love sports, and I, I, I appreciate that about her, and I thought. So, so now I only have about a five, ten-minute drive into Topeka to, to find the field. I knew where it was at, and, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm envisioning as I pull up, she's going to be on the, pitch, on the mound pitching and then looking, pitching and then looking as he comes. And, 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 and so, so she's, and this is what I envision. She's going to see me. If she's out on the field, she's going to see me. She's going to throw her glove down, run across the field, jump, on, you know, jump in my arms. I've, just, I've got it all in my mind, and... I get there, and she is, she's out there pitching. And she kind of glances over and sees me and does this. And again, again I'm thinking, control. She's good. Every fiber is saying, leave the field and come give him a kiss. And, and, but the, the, the inning finally came to an end. She walks over to the dugout. I'm standing on the backside. And I'll never forget the words. Do you remember what you said to me? I'll never forget the words that she said to me. She said, hi. And walked into the dugout. <laughs> Talk about major disappointment. Uh, now, I'll let her tell her side of the story later on. If you, uh, you know, not up here, of course, because it might conflict mine. But uh, uh, I'll let her tell her side of the story. But, but basically, she ended up getting cold feet. I mean, she knew I was the one, but she just wasn't sure. And, and I mean, for, for about two or three weeks, that whole weekend, she was distant. And, and I remember going back to Green Valley thinking, the woman I'm going to marry doesn't love me anymore. And, and this is not me. I remember I called my mom. And, and I don't have this relationship with my I'm not one that I tell, talk about my feelings. I called my mom and said, Mom, what do I do? I don't think she loves me anymore. And that's just not what I do. I, and... And that's the only time I've ever called my mom with that kind of, hey, here's my heart type thing. I just don't do that. And, and, and I, 
man, I was crushed. Now, now you probably have some stories like that where you, you had times where you walked away and, and you felt like you weren't loved. The truth is, whether, whether you understand it or not, whether you realize it or not, there are some people here today, and you know who you are, that, that when you think about God looking at you, when you think about God running to embrace you, when you think about God seeing you and His face lighting up with a smile, some of you think, you, you see that same scenario that I talked about, that God is uninterested and un caring that God doesn't really love you so Jesus starts with the foundation the foundation is God and and I want you to understand this this fact God loves see see he loves the world that that love is all-encompassing it's not just for the educated elites it's it's not just for the Jews it's for all of us God loves us and that changes everything you want to know why people were drawn to Jesus you want to know why why the sinners and the tax collectors and the ones who who, who were, were pushed aside inside just just were drawn to Jesus it's because he demonstrated and showed God loved them and and then we see a second fact is that that God gave for God so loved the world that he gave uh Nicodemus had no idea what Jesus was talking about here. When he answered that question, when he kind of solidified that, that question or that answer to the question that he didn't even ask, Nicodemus didn't know what he meant when he said, well, God loves me and he gave me Jesus. Nicodemus didn't know what he was talking about. The disciples who traveled with Jesus were, were with him intimately for three years who heard Jesus talk about it three different times at least that are recorded for us, that he was going to go to the cross and die and come back to life. Even they didn't understand it or, or get it, but, but later they realized what it was all about. God loved us so much that he sacrificed the very best for us. That's, the, that's why we... We memorize John 3.16. It's the message. God loves and he gives. See, see, God sees the need in our heart and he gives what satisfies that need. In 1986, I dislocated my elbow playing uh, co-ed softball. Co-ed softball, you shouldn't get hurt, but I did. Dislocated my elbow. Had to have my arm in a cast and... and uh, I, I preached one Sunday morning, and when church was over, we were going to load up in our car and drive to Illinois. We are going to spend a week back at, uh, in Illinois with my family. And the car we had at that time was a little four-speed. And, and as I walked out, as my, my left elbow, as I walked out, several people said to me, well, that knew I was going to say, well, you be careful driving that, that four-speed, driving all the way to El, uh, Illinois in a four-speed with only one, you, you really be careful. I don't know how many people said to me, you be careful, take care of yourself while you're doing that. But there was one guy that walked out and said, you're driving to Illinois and you have a four-speed? Take my van instead. It was Rita's boss, but a good friend of mine, and he handed us the key to his Ford conversion van. Or no, I think he had a Chevy, well, whatever it was, his conversion van. He said, take the van. Let me give you the van so that you can get there safely. Uh, God doesn't just love us. 
doesn't just see the need in our life. He gave us his son. It tells us about who God is. God loved us and he gave us son. It turns us to Jesus. I'm actually going to talk about this next week, so I just wanted to point it out or kind of toss it in there and then we'll move to the last point and be done here. We'll, we'll talk about this next week, but, but if we realize that Jesus is the, or that the foundation is God, we, we understand, we see then that it points us to Jesus, that God's where it starts, but it all points to who Jesus is. And then finally, we see that it touches our deepest need. It touches the need in our life to believe that we matter. See, we want to believe that we matter. Jesus uh, spoke in John chapter 10, so a little bit later in this gospel, in John chapter 10, verse 14, he gives a whole discourse about uh, about the fact that he was the good shepherd. In verse 14, he says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my, my sheep know me. See, Jesus wanted us and wants us to know that we matter to him. Uh, about two weeks ago on Facebook, I saw a notification. Uh, actually, it was from Ozark Christian College that a professor that I had had when I was a, a student, uh, Wilbur Fields had passed away. Wilbur Fields was, a, was an amazing professor. This, professor. this guy was smart beyond measure. He was an Old Testament scholar, and just he just had a wonderful way of presenting the, the, the teaching that he did. But as amazing a professor he was, he was even more of an amazing man. This guy had such passion for for his students and such passion for Christ. He just he was just such a special, special guy. And and what I loved about Brother Fields was was that he knew all of his students. And if he saw any of his students on campus, if you walk past him in a hallway or in the in the, the dining hall or out walking the sidewalks of the campus, he would always greet you and call you by name. So if I saw him he would he would say, Brother Tim, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing fine. Well, I'm glad you're blessed, Brother Tim. Bless Brother Tim. He said, he, he'd make some comment and say, you, you're such a blessing to me. He always had words of encouragement, but he always called me by my name, or at least called me Brother Tim uh, uh, every time I saw him. It was probably 15 years after I graduated that I was back on campus. I'd taken some high school kids uh, to, to Ozark for, for one of their weekend uh, events and and on that Friday morning I I sat in with a couple of my high school students sat in a uh, class that Brother Fields was teaching and as the class started there were a bunch of other former students there and with with their high school kids and as the class started Brother Fields po- started pointing some of them out and he he pointed to a guy uh, and and I'll just use the names of people he pointed like to, to Ben and, and Ben was a lot younger and, and obviously he just graduated a couple years before and he, he said Brother Ben it's good to see you again I I've missed seeing you here on campus and and then he pointed to, to another guy and we'll we'll pretend Gary's just a couple years out of college and he said Brother Gary it's good to see you again glad to have you in the class and and he did that as he walked through the class pointing out former students and I'm sitting at the back and it's been 15 years since I graduated and his eyes fell on me and. And, and I'm sure he's thinking, I shouldn't know who that is. And I, did, I, I really expected him to just keep on going to the next younger guy that hadn't graduated. See, see, 15 years, he had had hundreds and hundreds of students pass through his classrooms. And yet he stopped. And, and see, there's nothing special about me. I was just an average student. There, I, I wasn't a great student. But he stopped. 
and he pointed at the back, and he said, Brother Tim, so good to see you. Are you still preaching at Rushville? I tell you what, I, I walked out of that class that day, and I think probably for the rest of the weekend, thinking, Brother Fields knows who I am. He knows who I am. See, we want to believe that we matter, that God knows us. And so Jesus said, God loved us and gave his son so that if we believe, we'll have eternal life. See, see the, the other natural thing is we want to live beyond. We know there's something more than just what we see. There's something more than this life. And we want to live beyond this. In conclusion, uh, James Dobson tells this story. John, you guys can come on up. James Dobson tells this story about himself. He said when he was in college, he played tennis. And, and at his college, they had a tennis tournament every year. Uh, and, and someone was crowned the tennis champion of the college. And when they did, their, their name was put on a trophy, and that trophy was placed in a trophy case on campus. And Dobson said, said that he fancied himself a, a pretty good tennis player and, and decided that he wanted to win that award. And so as a freshman, he tried, but he didn't make it very far. There were some guys that were older that were a lot better than him, but, but he kept practicing. And by the time he was a senior, his tennis game had, had reached a new level, and sure enough, he won the championship. He was excited, and, and sure enough, a trophy with, with the name James Dobson was placed in the trophy case of his college. He said it was a number of years later that he received a, a package, and he opened the package. He didn't recognize who it was from, opened the package, and in the package was that trophy. And for a second, he thought, wow, there's my trophy. And then he read the note that accompanied the trophy, and the note said this, I found this in the trash and thought I'd send it to you. Dobson made this observation. He said, given enough time, all your trophies will be trashed by someone someday. Nicodemus, his trophy was the law. I guess we can make something a trophy that's about as good as you can you can do except that really it was about God see what's the trophy in your life what's the the one thing you're trying to find hope and peace and comfort and meaning in the, the, the reality is you're asking questions see that's what we do we we ask questions sometimes those questions are veiled like Nicodemus's Sometimes those questions are, are hard questions that we don't even understand or really there, but we just know that something's not quite clicking, something's not quite right. But Jesus is the answer. He says you have to, if you, if you want to know the answer, if you want eternity, you, you have to be born again. You have to come through me. And my Father has given me to be that answer. If you're here this morning and you have that that longing, that calling, that that question that you're trying to figure out the answer to. Just know what John 3.16, that verse you probably quoted a few minutes ago, what that tells you is the message. That God loves you and He gave His Son. Would you bow with me? Father, we, we thank You this morning that the questions that we have in life, all the questions can be answered with a simple with a simple word, it's Jesus. 
Father, we thank you that you loved us so much. Even even though we're sinners, even though we're going to make mistakes, even though we're, we're going to fail, Father, you loved us so much that you sent your Son so that we could be known and that we could know you. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, help us embrace the message of John 3.16, that you are the foundation, that you love us, and that you gave your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?